1: This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through 1 Samuel.
0: Real love is calling listen. up your eyes. Mercy is waiting, with every
2: sunrise. Here's the principle for us out of chapter 21. Beware of legalism which is really the desire to be right more than the desire to do the right thing. This was technically against the law what the priest did here for David. But Jesus actually uses it to remind the religious leaders of his own day. There can be this tendency to be legalistic, which is not a good thing. And legalism is often when you just want to be right.
1: Do you love being right about everything? Many times we feel a sense of superiority when we see someone breaking a rule, even if breaking that rule is the right thing to do. Today, Pastor Gary draws a connection between the stories of a priest breaking rules to feed the fugitive, David, and Jesus' disciples harvesting grain on the Sabbath. This was to show that doing what's right may at times take priority over following rules to the letter. One of Jesus' greatest commandments is for us to love our neighbors as ourselves. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 20, with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection.
2: You will probably count on one hand the number of close friendships that you will have in the course of a lifetime. Most of us have many acquaintances and many that we would call friends, but a kind of close friend... The kind of person that you can be completely open and vulnerable, honest with, you have their back, they have your back, you're praying for each other, you're holding each other accountable. Those kind of long-lasting, deep friendships are rare and invaluable. And the Bible tells us so. Proverbs seventeen seventeen: a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. Like, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I'm sure that everybody here could probably remember some person in your life that you thought was a friend, but then when hard times came, they bailed, and you found out they weren't really your friend. And, you know, sometimes those difficult things are an opportunity to really prune who really is a legitimate friend and who isn't, because a friend loves at all times, and a brother or a sister, someone who's like family to you as a friend, will be there through adversity, and those are your true friends. You end up finding out who your true friends are When you're going through the worst of times It's easy for people to love you when you're lovely But when they love you When you're unlovely When you're down and out When you have nothing Those are some true friends Proverbs 18.24 But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother Of course that ultimate friend we have is in Christ He's the one that sticks closer Than any human being But Friendships are things that God wants us to experience, and yet they are often very rare. The kind of deep, close friendships that you see happening here between Jonathan and David. And again, as I pointed out, there's anywhere from 20 to 30 year age difference between David and Jonathan, too. Jonathan was really a generation older than David. So it transcends age, it transcends, you know, Backgrounds or dynamics or whatever might be a part of your life that God can sometimes bring people together, and it 's a God thing that when He initiates a genuine, wholesome, healthy friendships, and so that 's what you see happening here, and it 's this whole chapter, really so let 's carry on reading verse eighteen, and then Jonathan said to David, "Tomorrow is the new moon, and you will be missed because your seat will be empty." And when you have stayed three days, go down quickly and come to the place where you had on the day of the deed and remain by the stone Ezel. So apparently there's this big stone that was, they named it and they knew where it was. And so that's going to be the, the meetup location. And he says, when I will shoot Three arrows to the side as though I shot at a target, and there I will send a lad saying, go find the arrows. If I expressly say to the lad, look, the arrows are on this side of you, get them and come. Then as the Lord lives, there is safety for you and no harm. But if I say thus to the young man, look, the arrows are beyond you, go your way, for the Lord has sent you away. And as for the matter which you and I have spoken of, indeed, the Lord be between you and me forever. All right, that sounds a little confusing. Let me break it down. Basically, they come up with this kind of Morse code. And Jonathan says, okay, here's the plan. Just like you said, David, I'm going to go home. And at the palace, we're going to have dinner. It's going to be the new moon. Three days, you're not going to be there. We'll see how my dad reacts to your not being there. This is what I want you to do. I want you to go hide by the stone of Azel. You know where that big stone is that we always hang out around? Okay, go hide out there. Hide behind this big rock, okay? Some kind of a boulder-like thing. And he said, and I'm going to send you a signal. And you're going to know because I'll treat the stone like it's a target. And if I shoot arrows, three arrows, just off to the side, it means one thing. It means it's okay and it's all good and the coast is clear and you can come out and come back. If I shoot the arrows and I lob them a far distance away and I say to the lad who's collecting the arrows... Just keep running. It's way, way beyond. You'll get my arrows. Go retrieve my arrows. But if I shoot them way far away, then that's a signal to you that you need to go way far away. Okay, that's what he's saying. So it's either going to be off to the side, coast is clear, or the arrows are going to be lobbed far away, and that's your signal, like run for your life. Okay? So they've worked this out together. And it says, and then verse 24, then David hid in the field, and when the new moon had come, the king sat down to eat the feast. Now the king sat on his seat, as at other times, on a seat by the wall. And Jonathan arose, and Abner sat by Saul's side, but David's place was empty. Nevertheless, Saul did not say anything that day, for he thought, well, something has happened to him. He is unclean. Surely he is unclean. And it happened the next day, the second day of the month that David's place was empty. And Saul said to Jonathan, his son, why has the son of Jesse not come to eat either yesterday or today? And so Jonathan answered Saul, David earnestly asked permission of me to go to Bethlehem. Okay, so here's this little, this lie, right? And he said, please let me go for our family has a sacrifice in the city and my brother has commanded me to be there. And now if I have found favor in your eyes, please let me get away and see my brothers. Therefore, he has not come to the king's table. So that's what Jonathan says. He's in Bethlehem. And then Saul's anger, look at this, verse 30, then Saul's anger was aroused against Jonathan and he said to him, you son of a perverse, rebellious woman. All right? We have another phrase for that, son of a bee, right? That's what he calls his own son. He's calling his own son that, which is, you know, that's not a very good comment against about your wife either, Right? You son of a perverse, rebellious woman, do I not know that you have chosen the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness for as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth? You shall not be established nor your kingdom. Now, therefore, send and bring him to me for he shall surely die. All right, so Jonathan now knows. Dad's having a bad day. He's like uh, not had his cup of coffee and he's a little ticked off. And he's just called me an illegitimate son, and, and he wants to kill my best friend. This is not a good day. It's not going down like I thought. And Jonathan answered Saul, his father, and said to him, Why should he be killed? What has he done? And then Saul cast a spear at him to kill him, his son, by which Jonathan knew. He's Captain Obvious. He knew that it was determined by his father to kill David. I think I understand now. You actually do want to kill my best friend, because you also want to kill me. And so Jonathan arose from the table in fierce anger and ate no food the second day of the month, for he was grieved for David because his father had treated him shamefully. So it was in the morning that Jonathan went out into the field, at the time appointed with David, and a little lad was with him. And then he said to his lad, now run, find the arrows which I shoot. As the lad ran, he shot an arrow beyond him. So he's lobbing it far away now. And when the lad had come to the place where the arrow was, which Jonathan had shot, Jonathan cried out after the lad and said, is not the arrow beyond you? And Jonathan cried out after the lad, make haste, hurry, do not delay. And so Jonathan's lad gathered up the arrows and came back to his master. But the lad did not know anything. Only Jonathan and David knew of the matter. And then Jonathan gave his weapons to his lad and said to him, go, carry them to the city. Like, go away, because now he's going to have this last conversation here with David. And so it says, as soon as the lad had gone, David arose from a place toward the south, fell on his face to the ground, and bowed down three times. And they kissed one another. Okay, again, this is completely platonic, especially in that culture. When I go to Israel and some of the men that I've known there for years, it's, I mean, that's just the way it is in that culture, okay? And even in the New Testament, four times, Romans 16, 16, 1 Corinthians 16, 20, 2 Corinthians 13, 12, 1 Thessalonians 5, 26. Talk about greet one another with a holy kiss. So, you know, it's a very culturally acceptable thing that still happens. The men and the women are very friendly in this way. So there you go. They kissed one another. But listen, and they wept together, but David more so. And then Jonathan said to David, go in peace, since we have both sworn in the name of the Lord, saying, May the Lord be between you and me and between your descendants and my descendants forever. And so we arose and departed, and Jonathan went into the city. So this is a very, it's obviously an emotional moment. Uh, Between two best friends who David realizes he probably will not really see Jonathan again. That will be true in some regards because David will just be a man on the run. He'll just have slight interactions here and again with Saul and Jonathan. But really in terms of them living life or doing life together, that's gone now. That's gone because David's going to be a man on the run. Tragically, you know, spoiler alert, but Saul and Jonathan will both die in battle in about another 10, 15 years. And so the friendship that would have normally been there, like when, you know, two buddies get to hang out together, they're not hanging out together. Like this is it because dad will not stop short of just killing David. And so chapter 21, now David came to Nob. Where is Nob? It's just past Lincoln and Blinken. <laughs> okay, that's Nod anyway. So it doesn't, it's not even a good joke. But... I want you to notice with me, no less than eight different places, David hides in Ramah, Naoth, in the fields of Gibeah, where he was by the stone of Elzar. He's going to hide in Nob, in the tabernacle. He's going to later hide in Gath, the cave at Adjalam, Mizpah, and the forest of Hereth. So one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight different locations in three chapters. So it just shows you, like, we're in these hiding years. He's going to go from one place to another, because as soon as Saul finds out where he is, he just continues to run to another place, to another place, to another place. So now he's on the run. David came to Nob, and he comes here to Ahimelech, the priest, and Ahimelech was afraid when he met David and said to him, why are you alone and no one is with you? <laughs> like, like, the guy who chopped off Goliath's head is showing up at the tabernacle where the priest is alone. And so Ahimelech is like, hmm. Why are you here alone? Like, what's going on? You shouldn't be here alone. Now, Ahimelech is the priest, and notice that the tabernacle has been relocated from Shiloh, where it was for some 400 years, to this town, Nob, and it stays there just for a short period of time. We're not sure why it was relocated there, but that's where it presently is. Ahimelech is the priest. His name in Hebrew, Ahimelech, means my brother is king, and he's the priest, And he asked David, why are you here? Why are you alone? And so David said to Ahimelech, the priest, the king has ordered me on some business and said to me, do not let anyone know anything about the business on which I send you or what I have commanded you. Okay, so he's lying again. David is in survival mode. I'm not condoning it. I'm just saying he's lying because he's trying to protect his skin. So he shows up at the priest's house, at the house of the Lord, the tabernacle. He's like, I'm want a secret mission by the king. I can't talk about it. If I talked about it, I'd have to kill you. All right. But I'm here and I'm here alone. I just can't discuss it. And I have directed my young men to such and such a place. So the reason I don't have uh, my army with me is because they're on a mission, uh, such and such uh, somewhere else. And now therefore, verse three, what have you on hand? Give me five loaves of bread in my hand or whatever can be found. He's hungry. He shows up at the tabernacle of the Lord. He figures, you know, church people usually have some good food. There's got to be some manna there. There's got to be some Krispy Kreme. What you got? You got some bread? You got some bread with a little glaze on it? And so verse 4, and the priest answered David and said, There is no common bread on hand, but there is holy bread if the young men have at least kept themselves from women. (laughs) David's alone, but the priest assumes that... David's ragtag army because, you know, there were some followers that David had that they're going to be meeting up with David pretty soon. And so the priest says, listen, I've got the showbread. Now, a little history here. In the house of the Lord, in the tabernacle of the Lord, there was a table and on the table were 12 loaves of bread. And it was called panim lechem Panim lechem means Bread of the faces. It's a very interesting translation. In our English Bibles, it's referred to as showbread because you would put the bread, 12 loaves representing the 12 tribes of Israel, in the presence of the Lord in the tabernacle where the bread would be face to face with the presence of the Lord. So it's called the bread of the presence or the showbread, Uh, the bread of faces because it faced and encountered the presence of the Lord. And here's the way that it was supposed to work according to the Levitical law. The priests every morning would put these 12 loaves of bread on the table in the presence of the Lord, and at the end of the day, the priests would eat, it was considered consecrated or holy bread, and so Leviticus prescribed it this way. Only the priests are to eat the loaves of bread, and then the next morning they put out fresh baked bread. And so when David shows up hungry, and he says, you got some bread, and he goes, yeah, I got bread, but I don't have common bread. I only have the bread that is the show bread, the table of the Lord, and that's only to be eaten by the priests. And David says, but I'm hungry. And so the priest says, well, have your men at least kept themselves from women? Now he's asking a question of purity. Have they been sexually pure? At least tell me that your men are pure enough so that I can give you this consecrated bread because this is a sacred kind of a thing here. And so David responds, he answers the priest and he said to him in verse five, truly women have been kept from us about three days since I came out and the vessels of the young men are holy and the bread is in effect Common, even though it was consecrated in the vessel this day. Now, he says there the men have kept themselves from women. Okay, well, there are no men. So he's the whole thing is a ruse. He's, he's just lying. And he says, So we're consecrated, and, and so you can give us the consecrated bread. All is well. And so it says, and so the priest gave him holy bread. Verse 6. For there was no bread there but the show bread which had been taken from before the Lord in order to put hot bread in its place on the day when it was taken away. So the priest gives him this bread. Now, interestingly, in the, in the margin of your Bible, you might want to just write Matthew chapter 12, verses 1 to 8, because Jesus refers to this event. In Matthew chapter 12, Jesus with his disciples are strolling through a grain field, and it's a Sabbath day. Now, the law said, the Jewish law said, no work on a Sabbath day. So Jesus and his disciples are strolling through a grain field and they're plucking the heads off the wheat and they're rubbing the grain in their hands to separate the kernels from the chaff and then they're, and they're eating the kernels as they're walking through the grain field and some religious leaders come unglued and they say to Jesus, what are you doing? Your disciples are, see, in their minds they thought, You're walking through a grain field, and in effect, you're harvesting the grain. And it's a Sabbath. You're not supposed to be doing any work. And Jesus refers to this story when he rebukes the religious leaders. He says, have you never read about how David went into the tabernacle of the Lord and took the bread from the priest, even though it was consecrated bread? Like technically, according to the law, David should not have been permitted to eat that bread. But the priest realized that the guy was hungry and doing the right thing is more important than just trying to be right. Okay? And so Jesus says, my own disciples are hungry. They're walking through a grain field. They can pluck the heads of grain and eat it because they're hungry. So you're stumbling over minutia in the law And here's the principle for us out of chapter 21, beware of legalism, which is really the desire to be right more than the desire to do the right thing. This was technically against the law, what the priests did here for David. But Jesus actually uses it to remind the religious leaders of his own day. There can be this tendency to be legalistic, which is not a good thing. And legalism is often when you just want to be right. There's a more necessary thing. And the more necessary thing requires you to do the right thing. So i I give you an example. So we have a, it's an internal policy among our, our pastoral staff that we put in place many years ago that pastors better not be seen alone with a woman in a car at a restaurant, unless you're related to her. She's a family member or your wife or you know, a sister or somebody, a cousin. But you're not gonna be like counseling a woman one-on-one in a restaurant, you're not gonna be with another woman in a car. And so I get a call from one of our pastors, this happened a few years ago, and said, Hey, just want you to know I'm on the side of the road. There's a lady that I stopped, it's pouring down rain, she's having car trouble, single lady by herself, and do you have any problem if I ask her to hop in a car and I'll take her to a gas station or take her to wherever she needs to go? Now, had I been legalistic, I would have said, that's a rule. I'm sorry. Drive on, leave the lady there in the rain. (laughs) Okay. And I appreciated that he called me to just kind of, you know, a little internal accountability. And I said, yeah, thanks for calling. Of course, you know, take her where she needs to go. So, the Pharisees were guilty of, you know, the latter. Like, they would have been like, I'm sorry, the rule is no other woman in your car. I don't care if she might get struck by lightning. I don't care if she's stranded there. I don't care that it's midnight. Drive away, right? That's legalism. That's wanting to be right because that's the rule. And sometimes in an effort to want to be right, listen, husbands and wives, this plays out in marriage all the time. In an effort to want to be right, We don't do the right thing, and so we have to guard against legalism. It can creep up in our lives, and the priest gave David the bread, and he ate, and we'll end here at verse 7. Now a certain man of the servants of Saul was there that day, detained before the Lord, and his name was Doeg, an Edomite, the chief of the herdsmen who belonged to to Saul. So we're first introduced here to Doeg, but we are not going to hear the last of him. He's there to observe what happens. He sees how Ahimelech gives David the showbread and he registers it and he's going to use it against David later. He's not a good guy, Doeg. He's one letter off from a dog. That really is what he is. He's a dog. And he's going to act like that. He's not a good guy, but we'll pick it up. Lord, thank you for this time we've had in your word. We just give you the praise and the glory and the honor. Help us, Lord, on this last point, not to just want to be right, but to do the right thing. And Lord, there's a little bit of legalism probably in all of us if we're not careful. And so, Lord, we pray that you would help us in that regard. And thank you, Lord, for even pointing out this example in Matthew 12, Lord for us to be reminded of. And thank you for friendships, Lord. They are rare and they are invaluable. And we thank you, Lord, when you bring people into our lives that we can do life together with. And we're grateful for good friends, Lord, that you bring our way. And may we be good friends. It's easy for us to just always want, who's my friend, but we should also be wondering, how am I a good friend to someone else? And so thank you for these lessons, Lord, as we make our way through your word. And we give you praise and glory and honor in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen.
1: That's all we have for today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. If you'd like to listen to this message from 1 Samuel again, Or if you'd like to explore other messages from Pastor Gary, just visit our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. Under the teachings option, you can download our mobile app to stay connected with God's Word everywhere you go. You will also find our companion resources. These digital study guides are meant to give you even more insight into some of the studies Pastor Gary has done and are available free of charge to you. While you're there, take a minute to subscribe to our podcast on Spotify so you never miss another message. You'll also find links with more information about the church behind this ministry, Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. If you're in the area, we'd love to meet you in person. Come visit us. You'll find service times and more information about Cornerstone Chapel at cornerstoneconnection.cc. With that, our time with you has come to an end for today. So put a marker in your Bible where we left off today in 1 Samuel and make plans to join Pastor Gary next time. Thanks again for listening to today's teaching right here on Cornerstone Connection.
2: They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know still you know You're not alone.